Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. And welcome back. It's been a little bit of a while since we've last spoken. And uh, we're now into season two of Unfurling. So it's great to be back with you, Elizabeth. Yes, you too, Kat. Um, It's been a while, hasn't it? We've had Christmas, we've had New Year. We're back in another lockdown. Yep. But it's good to be back with Unfurling. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, something something nice and hopeful. I guess as we we look ahead, we, we... we're looking at season two being slightly different to season one. I think with season one, you know, we, we viewed it very much as unfurling conversations around different topics um, with that nature lens, you know, what nature could teach us. And we'll keep, we'll keep a large part of that. But what we noticed was we were, we were being good at connecting ideas in season one. And another area in life that we both really love and are passionate about is connecting people. And so we'd love to bring some people into season two to kind of complement the ideas connection that we will continue doing. Yeah, that's something I'm really excited about. Um, And with that in mind, we have a a kind of way of thinking about season two as a whole, but also each episode. Mm. Um, And this might resonate with those of you who are more visual. You may have noticed that um, in the little icon that goes with unfurling podcast with the kind of green image that says unfurling we've now added three new words and it says guided by nature so we almost see each episode as a journey Um, we're not totally sure where the journey will take us but we know that we'll be incorporating our own thoughts as a starting point but then setting off and seeing who we meet on the way so we're going to have as Kat says a couple of guests in each episode who are almost seeing as guides Mm. so we'll meet them they'll share their wisdom and their thoughts on the topic of the episode but also on the natural world more generally Mm. so we're excited about that and we'll also just be looking at the scenery so what's out there that we can learn from as we think about uh, the topic of each episode yeah so it's I guess a combination of seeing ourselves as guides um that you know walking with each other walking with you our listeners on each um episode but also seeing our guests as guides too who can help us think about uh, each topic um so that's the kind of rough way of thinking about it like I say we're not totally sure where each journey will take <laughs> us but that's part of the fun right it's mm. sometimes we'll be on the path sometimes we'll go off the beaten track and find a new path perhaps mm. um but always coming back and saying you know where have we been? What have we learned on our journey? How can we kind of keep journeying and take with us in our rucksacks, perhaps, what we've learned on the way? Yeah, and I think also just kind of bringing in from season one that that kind of multidimensional lens, you know, from the city and the rural, um, arts, mm. science, um, inner world, outer world, all that, those pieces. Um, and I think we'll, we'll reflect that with the, the guests or the guides that we invite. We, we're looking for, to have scientists, um, artists, authors, coaches, broadcasters. You know, we really want to get mm. a range of people who, whose work is, is in some way connected with the natural world and who can offer interesting perspectives and reflections for us to, to also then reflect on um, mm. in these episodes. Yeah. It, it feels eclectic, right? It feels mm. like a kind of, I think we used it before, the word kaleidoscope. So yeah. you know, all the kind of colours and shapes that might come up. Um, it's really exciting to think about. Yeah, absolutely. 
So today we're going to be thinking about waiting and patience, mm. which um, is an interesting topic to start on, I suppose. There are lots of topics. We have, we have a list of things that we want to look at in season two, and it's a, it's a really interesting list. But we thought we'd start with waiting and patience. Um, there's a couple of reasons for that. And we thought that to begin to look at those reasons and the choice of topic we might actually look at some of the kind of etymology so so the meaning of the words waiting and patience mm, yeah so um my my beloved dictionary corner has been shelved oh yeah shame <laughs> r.i.p dictionary corner i know <laughs> um and in, in place what what are we what are we calling it now elizabeth Oh, well, we played around with ideas. Like, what What's in a word? That kind of, yeah. <laughs> that was something we talked about. But maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Maybe it doesn't need a name. Yeah, so for today, it's for today, it can be what's in a word. Um, yeah, let's we'll go see. with it. We'll see yeah. where we go. Um, and yeah, just kind of looking at, you know, what, what is behind words, you know, uh, the meanings. And so uh, in terms of waiting, uh, it kind of goes back to Old French um, and Germanic origins. and the kind of words that, that leapt out to me as I was reading about it um, for waiting are watch, guard, and be awake. So in a way, quite an active way of being. And then with patience, um, going right back to, to Latin, it's around the quality of suffering or enduring and submission. So again, this, I think when I started thinking about the topic, I thought, ah, oh, waiting and patience, that's very nice. That's very zen. You know? mm. But actually these words are both active, um, both calling upon suffering um, in some ways. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's going to be really helpful as we think about why we're doing this mm. um, topic now. You know, many of us, like I say, many of us are still in lockdown. Many of us don't know what the year ahead is going to bring. Mm. So I've, I've heard some people talking about how they've had a really productive lockdown and written books and started businesses and so on. And others have had a you know, more reflective, slower, mm. almost kind of hibernating lockdown. It kind of got us thinking about active waiting and active patience versus more sort of passive patience yeah. and some of you know the, the 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 guides that we have with us on our episode today I think will help us think a little bit more about that as well as they share their own experiences yeah you know what are we watching for what are we guarding mm. and protecting what, are we suffering are we suffering in this mm. journey of waiting patience yeah are we awake is there something about awakening as we wait mm. so there's lots of ideas we can explore and we'll certainly be obviously turning to nature to help us think about some of these ideas as well yeah yeah and one I guess one uh quote that I saw that that helped me think about these these two related concepts um is by Joyce Meyer mm. and it's that patience is not simply the ability to wait it's how we behave while we're waiting mm. yeah yeah, I like that kind of bringing in behaviours and, and what is our way of being as we're yeah. waiting. And some, yeah, and there's something about, there's a choice there. How do mm. we want to be behaving in these times? Yeah. So as we reflect on waiting and patience, uh, one of the guides uh, we'd be delighted to introduce you to is Hamish Mackay-Lewis. Hi, Hamish. 
Hi, Kat. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Hamish. Good to connect. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, I've known Hamish for a few years now and immediately thought of him as a great guest slash guide uh, for season two. Um, so I think it'd be best if you introduce yourself, Hamish. Um, so as a starting point, can you just give us a an overview of who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. So I'm a I'm a leadership and life coach um, and a facilitator and a meditation teacher. Um, so that's what I do. And I'm very passionate about reconnecting to the wisdom of nature, both for myself and for others, um, to support more compassionate and more authentic and more conscious leadership, basically. Mm. And, and leadership that is in service of all life on the on the planet, which I think is what um, strongly believe, I should say, is mm. what uh, lead, good leadership needs to be today, given what's going on with the ecological crisis. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, widening it out beyond the boardroom, isn't it? And actually thinking about the world we live in. I'm curious, though, about what initially drew you to nature in this context. Yeah, so um, I guess it all comes with a personal story, doesn't it? And I think I've spent a lot of my adult life being quite anxious um, through mainly being inauthentic and and not really listening to myself and and so yeah I, I used to be in the army um spent a lot of time outdoors uh grew up on a farm and when I look back um I recognized that when I was most at peace and most authentic and most myself it was always when I was in nature so um yeah there, there came a time when I think I was working behind a desk and I never really saw myself working behind a desk and I sort of felt the weight of society's expectations on my shoulders about who I ought to be and what I should be doing and what a real job is and um, that just sort of slowly wore me down <laughs> mm. and I decided to take the plunge and and do something that was more me mm. which involved um, uh, being outside more and living a life that was more in line with um adventure i've got a core value of adventure it's really mm. it's really important uh for me to to um yeah just sort of be in the moment and be discovering and take risks and um not believe i'm in control of anything um, or everything rather uh, be more trusting so so yeah that's um i'm much happier now mm. and um and so then around that time, I, I started to meet people who were taking, I, I was training as a coach and I started to meet people who were taking other people out into nature for spiritual development, for personal development. And I didn't really realize that was a thing. <laughs> and uh, combined with a, a real sense of overwhelm and grief as to what we're doing to the planet, you know, just treating the planet like a, a big dustbin and climate change and what have you so all these factors sort of came together and yeah I decided to to um coach people outdoors and bring nature into my work and and also spend a lot more time alone uh in nature myself to understand myself better and to build my relationship with nature mm. and what I'm kind of curious about you know you've talked about trust and it sounds like some letting go. Just curious about what else you're learning, you know, as you spend 
more time in nature, whether professionally or just personally? Yeah, um, so much, really, mm. so much. Um, because nature is, uh, for me, and I think for all of us, can be a wonderful guide as well as a friend, <laughs> as well as a teacher, um, as well as a provider, you know, mm. and a healer and even a lover, you know, it's, um, it's everything really because it constitutes all matter and, and, and who we are and what we are because it's fundamentally, fundamentally linked and we're fundamentally part of it. So um, I think there's so much to learn and there always will be so much to learn with nature. Um, and I think that's a key distinction to make as well, sort of not going back into that sort of extractive relationship with nature, just being in partnership with it, I think is very important. Mm. Um, and so I think, I think what's most profound for me has been what I experience um, when I'm out in nature. It's quite easy, I think, to intellectualize things, you know, Mm. Um, when we're out in nature, but the experience and the felt sense of who we are and what it's like. Um, because, for example, we, uh, you know, everything is interconnected. And I think that's a really important thing for us to understand. And we can intellectualize that and we can say, yeah, of course, I know everything's interconnected. <laughs> I also know everything's constantly changing. And those two, those are two fundamental truths, I think. Um, but when we go out into nature, we experience that very, very directly. Mm. And it's not, it's not an intellectual thing necessarily. It can be, but we understand that way better and way more deeply when we actually experience um, not being separated. Mm. We experience being part of nature we actually experience that interconnectivity and we experience the fact that everything is changing and um, we experience flow. Mm. Um, so when we feel that we're separate or when we think that we're separate and when we think that we're historically defined and things don't change, I think that's actually, those are two fundamental issues that's facing humanity today and especially with the mental health crisis and things like that. Um, but going off on one side here, but to answer your question, yeah, I think it's... Um, there's so much to learn, um, but I think what's most profound is that um, it's um, understood way more deeply because it's actually experienced. You know, when you're when you're really connected and when you're in it, mm. um, especially when you're undistracted, and especially when I think when you're alone. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and something that not all of us, you know, choose to do, get to do, and I know that you have had a number of experiences like that. I'll let Elizabeth um, come in at this point. Yeah, that's really interesting hearing about your experiences, Hamish. Um, there's so much there I could pick up on, just a couple of things. You you talked about that idea of kind of being alone in nature and almost mm -hmm. a sense of you listening to yourself. I mean, you talked about listening to yourself um, to tap into that authentic you, but also listening to nature, um, which very much chimes with the theme of this episode, which is waiting and patience. And I just wondered if mm. you could delve into that a little bit, kind of what does 
waiting and, and patience mean to you? And, and how have you experienced that in that kind of um, setting of the natural world? And how have you benefited from it? Yeah, sure. So um, well, I think everything out in nature is, <laughs> is, well, appears to me to be at least fundamentally um, fundamentally patient and mm. everything happens um, in its own time. Um, I think um, one of the most dangerous things is, as, as humans is this idea of progress that we have, especially when it comes to linear progress. <laughs> mm. um, but when I'm out in nature, I experience everything in, in, as balance, you know, and as renewal and as cyclical um, so waiting is an interesting, it's an interesting thing when when we look at it out out in nature, because um, there's a kind of there's always this sort of pull towards wholeness and there's always this pull towards presence. Um, everything is kind of happening in the moment. Everything happens perfectly, although it seems to be chaotic. Perfectly um, when the time is right, you know. Um, and this is sort of deep acceptance and flow to things just as they are. So I think when we're, re- when we're alone and we listen, as you're saying, Elizabeth, mm. we just kind of drop into that frequency of everything is just happening as it should, mm. you know, and everything has its own time. And we're not living just in front of ourselves, which is what I think we do when we rush around the streets the whole time. We're living just in front. We're not quite, uh, the moment isn't quite enough. It has to have something else to it. Um, I don't experience that so much um, when I'm out in nature. So, yeah, so that's um, some reflections. Um, I think nature has a capacity to wait. If you're just just looking at a dog waiting for scraps, you know, (laughs) Oh, they're so patient, you know. Um, there's something to me about necessity, and I've got a story here actually. Um, Great. Um, so when I yeah, I spent I spent 28 days um, in this circle about 100 meters across Colorado, um, not so long ago, and it was part of a vision quest that was uh, arranged by um, John Milton, who um, has an organisation called Way of Nature out there. And it's a really profound experience, as you can imagine. So spend a whole lunar cycle on your own mm. and um about halfway through uh, a bear stole some food um <laughs> of mine and um just sort of cracked open the bear proof canister and stole some food <laughs> and then about a week later and i had to get a resupply if you can imagine um and then about a week later i heard some smashing like big big crash 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 um in the middle of the night and i thought oh god this is a this is another bear after my food. So I, I walked out of the tent um, in my undies and my, um, with my torch and um, approached this bear who was standing over the food and he hadn't got into the canister yet. He was trying to work out how to get into it. And we just had this bit of a standoff, basically, mm-hmm. with one another. I pushed him off the food and hid the food under the rock again and went back to bed and thought, right, hopefully that'll be, that'll be it. And then another bang, 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 got out of the tent, <laughs> pushed the bear off the food again. And I thought, you know what? Um, 
I could go backwards and forwards with this, and this bear is always going to um, outweigh me. It's got way more patience than me. <laughs> and so I'm going to go to bed. And so I went to bed, and the next morning he'd pushed down this food in this canister halfway down the hill, and luckily hadn't, luckily hadn't got in it. So my, my food was intact, and my granola was kind of pulverized into something akin to, akin to flour. Um, but I was just I was just reflecting on that before this call and just thinking, so why, you know, what is that about? And it just seems to me that it needed that food more than I did. Um, and there's something about that necessity that um, when we really value something, we can be um, we can be really patient. Mm. Um, and I think in today's world, um, not everyone, of course, but many of us. Um, have more than what we need mm. you know mm. we look at supermarkets and all this choice and supermarkets and all this food um, we have more than what we need and so we don't really value it um, because we have so much of it and um, that you know then we just want more of it and we can become impatient um, to want more of something you know mm. so um I was just reflecting on that and just sort of thinking, well, if we really value something, we can be, we can be patient um, because we know it, we know its value and, and we're happy to, we're happy to wait. And when we're connected to nature, we can really trust because we know that spring is going to come round. We know that things are cyclical, mm. but when you're walking in, down, down a supermarket, when it comes to food, it's not such a cyclical, it's not, you know, it's more of a sort of linear mechanical relationship mm. to food. And it's far more difficult to trust, uh, I think, when we're disconnected from nature. Um, and when we don't trust, it's difficult to be uh, patient and it's difficult to wait. Anyway, mm. there's some reflections mm. I have from that. Thank you very much. Your your story um Reminded me of a, a, a story I have that's quite similar, only it involves a Dartmoor pony instead of a bear, which is far less scary. <laughs> well, I was petrified with this bear. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Petrified. Was, you're, you were sounding very calm telling yeah. the story. I was like, I'd have been terrified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was. I was indeed, yeah. <laughs> what, what you're saying also, um, there's a quote I really like by the American essayist um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. He said, adopt the pace of nature her secret is patience. Um, mm. And that really kind of, it, I was reminded of that as you were speaking. And also just reminded that, you know, you were talking about we, we value things when, when we wait for them and when we work for them and so on. And it reminded me too, picking up on something else you said of, you know, some of the kind of movements which are really gaining momentum to kind of conserve and protect our planet. There's something there about valuing the natural world and actually as it's diminishing, we're realizing, you know, it's not infinite. It's, um, we need to value it. We need to protect it. Almost I'm hearing a kind of call to persistence and patience, even in some of those movements, you know, um, there is a, there's an urgency, but there's also a real need to kind of be patient and, and look at this thing we love that we're trying to protect, protect the natural world and, you know, use the lessons of nature as we try and protect nature ourselves yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and i think i think trust is a fundamental part of this as well mm. i think um us humans are very good at not trusting 
and believing that we're in control yeah. of things. Um, and ultimately, there's very little that we that we do control. Mm. Um, but nature's always in that kind of survival mode, mm. isn't it? And so it has to kind of it has to trust really it has to trust that spring is going to come around again. Yeah, I'm always really amazed in winter, just looking at the trees and the, the buds on the trees and just so um, kind of curious about how these trees just trust that the signals of spring and the, and the light and the, the day length, that those things will be enough to kind of call out their being and, and ask them to become themselves again. Um, I find that really beautiful. Brilliant. Gosh, we could keep talking for ages. I think there's there's some um, there's lots of really interesting things you've, you've mentioned. Um, just as we start to to draw this um, connection to a close, Hamish, I'm curious whether there's anything you'd like to leave our listeners with, something to go away and think about, a, a word or a picture or a book or an idea that you'd like to leave people with. Yeah, sure. Um, so the author Brian Swim. He's got a um, great quote. Um, he said, take hydrogen and leave it alone for 13.7 billion years. And it turns into rose, rose bushes, giraffes and humans. Huh. And I just find that absolutely amazing. Just taking that really big perspective. Huh. And um, look what amazing things have happened through the course of, the, of evolution. Huh. Um, and in many ways, we just need to get out of nature's way and be patient. And what amazing things can happen in the future if if we look at that and what's already happened oh. just through time, time and hydrogen. It's just uh, <laughs> an extraordinary perspective, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a there's a great film that I watched recently, which has been out for a couple of years now, called The Biggest Little Farm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, have you? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, great, great example, I think, of, of being patient and, and waiting to see what happens as a way of, you know, regenerative agriculture. Um, and another book called The Wayfinders um, by Wade Davis, Why Ancient Wisdom Matters in the Modern World. And some wonderful stories about indigenous peoples who are connected to nature and, and lots of examples of... Um, importance of being patient hmm. yeah brilliant thank you <laughs> i've scribbled notes so i'm gonna go away and look up um that book certainly and i love that that quote just time and hydrogen i think that's really um i've never heard it framed that way i think that's really kind of mind-bending and beautiful all at once so thank you thank you for leaving us with that it's been lovely to connect hamish yeah likewise it has. I'm definitely taking away time, hydrogen, trust, valuing. And then also just wanted to acknowledge your kind of kind of pioneering spirit as well, because there's a lot of reflection in there and, and thoughtfulness, but actually you've chosen to go out and seek that, right? To, to open yourself up to an experience, not knowing what's going to happen mm-hmm. and not knowing what you're going to learn from it. And I, I remember hearing about Hamish's 28 days last year and just in awe of it and quite frankly, a bit jealous. <laughs> I was like, that sounds amazing. I'm very lucky to have been um, able to do that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Really lucky. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing, you know, some of that with us and 
I know you've been writing about that on your website and newsletter as well. We'll we'll be sure to put that um, in the notes as well so people can find you. Because I think, yeah, Hamish is definitely bringing some really interesting pieces of work along leadership, life, nature. So thank you, Hamish. Thanks, Hamish. Oh, thank you both. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Ah, so Elizabeth, that was so nice to have our first guest slash guide. Yeah, it really was. I love this idea. I think it's great. Yeah, I think I think we're onto something. Yes. And yeah, what I what I really loved about I mean I, I love what, a lot of what Hamish said, but something that that stood out to me was when he said that nature is fundamentally patient, mm. um, and as well that it has the capacity to wait. Yeah. And I'm just curious, Elizabeth, like in your own experience in the natural world, you know, what what have you noticed about examples of waiting and patience? Yeah, those those quotes, what he said really resonated with me there, that capacity to wait. And I think it's interesting kind of thinking about waiting as a capacity, like almost mm. a skill that we can develop or um grow in I thought that was interesting um something that came to mind when he was talking about that that capacity to wait was seeds so Mm. you know seeds that from which grow plants and trees and all sorts of things often seeds will lie dormant in the soil or in the sand or earth you know often just for a season until they're waiting to, to germinate and do their thing in the spring but often they can wait for much much longer I remember when I I lived in Zambia for a time and I remember there um, somebody talking about some seeds that would wait in the ground until they until fire Mm. was present and they would sort of germinate based on those external signals of fire. Um, I was also reading about a a study done by some, oh, I think the National Academy of Sciences in America. Um, and they were uh, looking at um, old seeds buried in Siberian permafrost. The oldest documented germinating seed came from something, I'm not sure how, totally how you pronounce it, Silene stenophylla. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Okay. <laughs> and they've estimated the seeds of this plant to be 31,800 years old. <laughs> Wow. And the researchers took this seed from the permafrost, took it into the lab and managed to regenerate the plant successfully, wow. which just blows my mind. So that plant, that seed has been waiting patiently, it had the capacity to wait mm. for thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of years. And I just thought that was incredible. And there's something about, I know that some seeds wait for signals from the outside world. So fire or temperature or light or whatever it is, and, and others kind of, and rely more on their internal messaging and signals about when is the right time to germinate. But really, it's it's something about waiting until the the conditions and the environment are favourable. Mm. So being patient and waiting until everything in the environment lined up for this seed, this plant to thrive. And I think there's some interesting thinking there about us as humans. Sometimes we just have to wait and sometimes things line up around us, but depending on what's going on in the world, to, to make it more favourable. There's something about playing the long game, yeah, being patient and, and when those signals are there, kind of going for it. Mm. So that's what it got me thinking about. I mean, there was much in what he said that I really appreciated. But what about you, Kat? What, what comes up for you in listening to 
to that and thinking about particularly that concept of the capacity to wait yeah well I think what I loved about that quote um, that Brian Swim gave about that kind of 13 billion years you know to you know for giraffes rose bushes and humans to emerge and and with that seed you know 31,000 years there's something about like really having perspective you know I, I, I often in my coaching with clients we talk about the idea of google maps and zooming out you know imagining yourself above the ground above your house above the city above the country and just really having that that big perspective on things and that feels really important here. Um, mm. I guess personally, when I think about waiting and patience, I was thinking, you know, when have when have I been there? Obviously, there, there's there's a lot here right now in lockdown. But for me, the the main part of my life was the the two times that I was pregnant. Mm. You know, um, so nine months uh, feels like a long time. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, especially when you're 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 not really in control. You know, there's always things that are going on inside you and growing and developing and you it's really quite magical you know mm. um but that you, but you you're not actually beyond you know eating healthily and sleeping as much as you can and, and doing the the things to help I guess as you were saying getting the conditions good mm. you know, actually there's something about being patient letting go trusting you know it's all these themes that Hamish was talking about actually yeah. um and I think there's something about perspective too, because, you know, I was thinking nine months is a long time. And then I got curious and started Googling, you know, what is the longest gestation out there um, in the world, in, you know, in creatures. And I came up with three and a half years uh, for the common frilled shark, um, which is an extremely primitive species um, native to all oceans in the world. Because mm. um, I always think of elephants when I think about long gestation times, but they yeah, are they're 18 to 22 months. Um, whereas this is 42 months we're talking about. Um, and it seems that sharks in general, there are, there are a number of sharks in the, the, the top 10, um, as well as the alpine salamander, which has a three-year uh, gestation period. Goodness so, me. yeah, there's something about, well, I don't even know, I've not even looked into why. Why are those different, the gestation periods? But clearly there's something about conditions, capacity, um, and a bit of magic yeah know, with all of this yeah 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 and like and like Hamish said that you've picked up on as well that being more trusting so mm. trusting in mystery and the magic and these mm. processes that are going on whether it's inside our own bodies or in the Siberian permafrost like mm. sort of just trusting the beauty of that process I suppose yeah and also there's something beautiful about the hope in it. I was just thinking mm. you know the idea of a tiny seed in the ground for 31,000 <laughs> years it, it like it's it sort of there's a stubbornness right and a kind of hope in its own future mm. that it's that it's mm. that it's just going with and I, I I think there's a real beauty there you know yeah. in patience and waiting though it can be hard it also for me there's something about hope that comes in you know you you often wait in in hope of something or for something mm. and persistence too yeah you know, as, uh, take, going back to that bear story you know the persistence mm. Um, with that hope yeah 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 Yeah. interesting gosh well we could talk about this for ages I'm sure Mm. Um, but Mm. we're actually going to bring in our second guide on this journey which Mm. is really exciting I love thinking about our guests as guides Mm, me too 
So we're really pleased to welcome our um, next guide on this journey, and that's Lindsay Chapman. Um, Lindsay's a really good friend of mine, so I'm really chuffed that she's on with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Cool. So, Lindsay, do you just want to start off by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, anything else that comes up? Yeah, of course. Um, Well, it is a real pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Um, I am a TV and radio presenter and I specialise in the areas of climate and culture. So I have an arts background. I trained as an actor originally. Um, So I went to drama school, trained as an actor. Um, But I'd grown up essentially up a tree outside. Uh, I was very lucky. My, My sister, my whole family, in fact, are very outdoorsy. So I, as a child, spent a lot of time um, outside, watching nature within nature, um, that that came very naturally to me. But then, yeah, a bit, bit of a black sheep of the family, really. We don't know where it came from, but I just had this passion for for literature, for art, and for for theatre. So um, I went off and I trained to be an actor. I sort of moved away from the natural world for a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, I was doing that. But but whenever I needed to, I always returned to my East Yorkshire roots and. Um, you know, the sort of natural open spaces uh, and places where I grew up have always been really, really important to me. Uh, and then a few years into my acting career, I accidentally um, did some presenting for uh, Children's BBC because mm. uh, somebody said, oh, we, we need someone to to um, go on a live stage and, and talk about um, whales and tigers with kids. And I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. You know, I'll do that. Uh, and as I was doing it, I felt the happiest I'd ever been. And I sort of thought, gosh, acting is very much about being someone else and embodying somebody else. Um, and presenting is very much about being yourself fully yourself giving as much as you can um, and being as open and honest as you can and I suddenly found that I enjoyed being myself and sharing that with other people Um, so I sort of took my two worlds essentially and crossed over my performance background with my love of the natural world and uh, now I'm very lucky to to be a presenter in those areas really so I I worked on Spring Watch for the BBC um, a program called Big Blue UK Animals After Dark for Channel 5 and I got my own program made last year which was called oh. Wild Animal Rescue oh. um, which, which, I which won an award I think as well didn't it? It did thank you yes it won um, a Royal Television Society award in 2020 which was just such a massive boost because let's oh. face it 2020 has been a very very odd year oh. um, so it was wonderful to have that sort of um reward for a program that I was very proud of which was about Mm. um, the people that look after Mm. wildlife and animals which was my concept my idea something I wanted to put on screen so um, yeah that's sort of where I'm up to really. And and as you've kind of moved back it almost feels like you know to your childhood um, and bringing in some of that natural world piece into your work like what are you what have you been learning about um, through working with the natural world? I think the big thing for me is about connection to the natural world. So I'm working in an area with, um, you know, the top experts in the country. I I work with Chris Packham a lot. We're good friends. We do uh, programmes for the BBC, but we work together outside the BBC as well. And Chris is one of the most incredible humans I have ever known. Um, I call him a walking encyclopedia. And, you know, I can ask him questions, completely absurd questions about the natural world. And I can see him go through the encyclopedia in his mind, pick out the right fact and then tell me about it. It's Mm. just wonderful. And my goodness me, do we need those people? But we also need 
a different kind of person in that space. We need people who um, can tell other people about their connection and, and try and bring other people to that space because the natural world is for everybody. You know, it's not just for the experts. It's not just for the scientists. Yeah. It's for all of us. And um, for me, that connection is so important, particularly now when we know that our natural world is really suffering because frankly um if you don't know about it why would you care about it why would you um want to to save it essentially if if you don't have those links to it so for me it's about it people are at the heart of everything that i do and you know creating those links and those moments is really really important mm. to me and, and that's what I've sort of learned I, I've also learned that you know humans are wonderful but we're selfish creatures so we want we want to be in the middle of everything and if we don't make it important uh, to our own species um, these these big issues you know essentially climate change it's very bad for the natural world obviously it's very bad for the animal kingdom but we have to understand that we cannot just crash through everything and still be okay we are linked to all these things mm. and that's where we're going to make a difference when we make climate change about humans mm. then it's then it's going to count because you know when it starts impacting people's uh, money people's home insurance things like that that's when we're going to actually do something i think mm. because although we we really love the natural world mm. we you know it's still dispensable to us in a way until it becomes about us which mm. might sound a bit dark but you know just to go to take myself back and back and back mm. if we can create those connections and they are there and they're exciting they're wonderful then we then we're making some progress mm. Interesting. It makes me think to going back to your kind of roots in acting and storytelling, really. Mm. There's something about you talked about acting as sort of you inhabiting other people's lives and other people's stories. But there has to be a, like a level of empathy, right, that allows you to do that. And I'm curious how you kind of draw on that empathy from your acting experience to almost put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're talking to about climate change and the natural world and really using that storytelling skill that you're so good at to do that you're absolutely spot on storytelling is primal you know it's, yeah. it's ancient it's the fi it's the firelight isn't it it's the group experience around firelight that's what theater is as well and that's why it's still um even in a pandemic people want it back you know it's mm -hmm. that group mentality and being together and I think drawing the story out is absolutely key and uh, they're the bits of my work that I enjoy the most I would say is is you know if, if we're doing a piece about um forest I want to speak to the ranger that's looking after that bit of the cairngorms or whatever it yeah. is to find out why uh, you know what has drawn them to it and what they love about it and what they've noticed that nobody else has noticed because they're the nuggets and they're the moments that then other people sort of go gosh look at that you know and the development over time as well I think I've always loved story um I've gone back in the pandemic I don't know whether anyone else is doing this but I've gone back to reading what you could call children's books I've started yeah, reading Harry Potter again yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> just for that sort of escapism and that that space within my imagination but also the development of a plot and I think that's really useful in the conversations that we're having as well we don't want to be stagnant as humans we're always looking for the next stage uh, you know and, and the next thing that we can accomplish and I think the notion of storytelling and, and picking people up and taking them with you mm -hmm. is really powerful in that that's fascinating. Yeah. 
And I think that's something you're really good at, sort of, you know, being familiar with your work. You're really good at honing in on the individual and the stories and the, the uniqueness of people and then kind of scaling that up to the collective. And I think that's something, certainly on this podcast as well, we're really kind of keen to explore how does the, you know, the individual story or anecdote, how can it apply to actually all of us? I agree. And I think the question is key as well. So I've sort of developed over my time a strategy of, of you know, empathy, really listening to people. Um, often presenters, I think, want to talk about themselves. But when I look at people that I admire, the really good ones, you don't know that much about because they're getting the best out of other people. And that is a way I think well that's the way that I want to develop as a presenter and what I enjoy is sort of setting up and listening and understanding what they're talking about and then somewhere in that conversation you find the key you find the question that unlocks and suddenly it shifts and it changes and that's when you get into a person and I look for it on programs that I'm watching or I'm listening to as well and you suddenly go oh you've taken that time you've got that empathy we're with you and then suddenly switch and that's that's sort of in my job that's the excitement I get that's the interest because I like finding those moments. In terms of this episode we were we were thinking you know intuitively you know where do we want to focus and obviously all three of us are in the UK in lockdown right now and waiting impatience you know just came up to us straight away and curious about you know your thoughts on waiting impatience and and also what you take from the natural world you know on this topic. I'm so pleased you've got me on for waiting and patience because um, it's something that I'm really terrible at. Um, <laughs> it's something that, I find, okay. something that I find really difficult. So when I read that, I thought, ah, and then I thought, actually, that's probably quite a good thing for me to talk about because, you know, I, I think I'm quite an ambitious person. I play a lot of sport as well. So I, I have a lot of energy and, and I'm always push, wanting and pushing for the next thing. Mm. I think you have to, you know, because I'm, I'm sort of at the moment, I've, I've got a great backlog of work, but I'm not in that 1% of presenters where you go, oh yes, household name. Mm. Um, and I work all the time, but I want to be in a position where, you know, the next job is coming or I'm finding it or, and lockdown just has taken all that away because of um, suddenly being sort of kept in one place and the television and radio industry, although they're carrying on, things are more difficult, much more difficult um, and everyone's available. So, you know, if you are looking for a presenter for a new show, mm. everybody's going to the same names that they know because um, they're all free. You know, no mm. one's sort of on an exotic shoot somewhere else in the world. So um, cutting through at the moment is really difficult. And I am at the stage of my career in my 30s where I feel like, you know, I should be exploding now. This is my moment. Mm. And I really struggled with that at the beginning of the first lockdown. I felt like, mm. you know, all this body of work and the momentum that I built up had been ripped out from under my feet. And for the first three weeks, I tried to rile against that. You know, I tried to keep going at the same level and and still keep contacting. And people weren't getting back to me because we're in a world pandemic and they were <laughs> changing the way they were doing things, you know. Um so that's definitely something that I really struggled with um, in terms of feeling I shouldn't have to wait. And why would I have the patience? You know, mm-hmm. that isn't my that isn't my natural character. I want to get on. Um, so I've really had to reframe that this year and sort of think, right, well, in this situation, what can I do? 
Um, and I've, you know, now started to sort of look for the opportunity within contacting people that are maybe also at home. So they might have mm. um, a different thought process to when they're in the office and always busy and, you know, chatting mm. to this person and that person. So that's been really good. Thinking about um, being really genuine in my approach. Um, I've rethought mm. My branding. Yeah. Oh, what an awful <laughs> thing to say. Um, but I've I've rethought. Well, what am I, and what do other people mm. see me as? And I think trying to use the time and put it in places that I wouldn't have put it. It has been really, really good for mm. what I do. And I think the natural world has really helped me with that. Mm. So. I do feel like I've always had this place. I'm sure it's the same for both of you um, in terms of 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 needing to get out into that mm. green, bigger expanse. I've started doing a lot of stargazing as well, just to mm. feel that nice. space above mm. me and sort of know that the world has been for, here for hundreds of thousands of years mm. and your time mm. in it is a yeah. speck and you want to use that time, but also um, it might not happen as you thought you know and just place yourself within that and breathe and take that moment and know that things will move because they always do and that you're trying to do the best you can do at the moment um but also that there's beauty beauty is such Mm. a big thing and there is joy and um there is life you know as we come back towards the the rounding of the seasons and spring ah spring you know I look for it in everything that I'm doing at the moment and that and and what I feel you know and this this is related to the pandemic as well and it's happening underneath it's happening Mm. where we can't see it at the moment so Mm. the the energy of spring is being stored inside the trunks of trees and in the soil underneath plants and you know the birds know that they're going to breed again so they're beginning to sort of make those changes Mm. and I think that we are also doing that as humans. We're taking this time. We know it's difficult. There might be challenges ahead, but the energy is there and it's mm. underneath and the work is being done. So we'll just wait, have the have the patience mm. and the willpower to wait because mm. it is coming. Mm. I love that. That really res- resonates about that energy, that stored energy, because you can feel it almost palpably, you know, with people. You know, even if we're in our own homes, you know, that it fe- it's it's coming. I don't know what it will look like, but it feels like it's there's something coming. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely, and and I think there's real hope in that. Mm. Um, and I always talk about hope with the natural world as well, because if you look and if you spend time, and actually, if if you allow the space mm. um, to come back from the natural world, it bounces back. You know, it yeah. is sort of not down and out it's mm. it's ready we mm. just have to give it the space and that, that comes down to city gardens you know what you're doing with your window box as much as it does to mm. um designating a new natural um area or national park you know yeah you talked earlier about and thank you for being really honest and saying how hard waiting your patience mm. is because i think it really is you also talked about the frustration um, or i know we've talked about the frustration of a big topic like climate change, mm. which ha- comes naturally with an urgency, right? We need to be acting yesterday, 10 years ago, decades ago. How do you how do you personally kind of resolve that tension of the urgency of things like climate change with the need to sometimes, as you say, kind of be patient, have the willpower, trust that things will bounce back and be okay? How do you come into that? 
Yeah, I think that that is tough and it can be overwhelming, uh, you know, and I think there's an awful lot of pressure on the younger generation because mm-hmm. we sort of say, hey, look mm-hmm. at Greta, look at the school strike for climate. Mm-hmm. The energy is there and our young people are going to mm-hmm. take this mantle and mm-hmm. they're going to deal with it. And I think, no, the people that need to be dealing with it are the adults now. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's brilliant that that energy is coming through, but we have mm-hmm. to take ownership of it now and I think that is changing um you know I'm part of that voice um Liz you're part of that voice as well Mm -hmm. and there is a real there is a real sort of um overwhelming sense that this is too big isn't there and I think Mm -hmm. that can be really disempowering for people and a lot of people say to me oh but if I switch a light bulb off it's not going to make a difference Mm. you know and in a way I say okay I understand that point of view I get it and we need legislation on a national and an international level to make change happen but we also have to do that at a level where we feel we are in control of some of it and for me Mm. and I talk about this a lot and people can come back to me on it if they want to for me the individual action is worth something Mm. and if you can key into those conversations if you can be part of that change then I think that that is a good thing and it's something that I still believe is worth the conversation Uh, and a big thing for me is about um again information and connection because you sometimes speak to people who who aren't even involved in this and you sort of think well how how have you not read the news how do you not know about this or that um but but maybe it's because their world is in a different place you know and their Mm. concerns are different and and um you know this does have to be something that we take everybody along with um but I think those individual actions are really good so if you're feeling overwhelmed um take some time out in the natural world you know if you can go for a walk in a park if you live in the in the center of a city um if you've got a bit more space go to the sea go to the countryside get get something back from the climate change conversation because it will regenerate you it will sort of inspire you but but then also do do the little things Mm. if you possibly can Mm. you know maybe don't eat meat four times a week Mm. eat meat once a week Mm. and you know I talk about this all the time people do do say to me that's not going to make a difference but actually if everybody did it it would make a difference Mm. and all right yes it might not make a difference in the same way that legislating will but it'll make a difference to Mm. you because Mm. you'll feel like you're part of something Mm. and I think that's really important I also think put it down for a bit you know know about it engage with it Mm. um do what you can do with it make your voice heard add your voice you know to the crowd the strength is important I believe in people um but also put it down and go for a walk and, you know, let it drift away for a little bit. Mm. One thing, mm. and I'll finish here. One thing that um, I remember asking Chris Packham, uh, I said, you know, what are you going to do when the apocalypse hits? <laughs> Climate change, mm. 15 years, 10 years, what are you going to do? And he looked back at me and he said, do you know what, Linz? Humans are not good at prevention, but mm. they are good at cure. Mm. And... I look at the pandemic and I think we're not good at prevention. We didn't act quickly, but we are good at cure because we need this to be different. So look how fast the vaccine has rolled out and we've got a way to go, Mm. but that's important. So with climate change, it will come to a point where we have to act unbelievably quickly and things have to change drastically. And that's, I think that will happen. And when one of my heroes is saying Mm. that will have to happen 
I actually mm. find strength in that. Mm. But if we can do stuff about it now, now mm. is the time. Yeah. You know, you don't want it to get to the situation where um, climate change is impacting in, in, in disastrous ways in every single country in the world. Mm. Yeah, so, so waiting isn't always the right approach. And when I'm hearing you speak, I'm kind of, because I've always been an advocate of the uh, turning the lights off as well. And it just, there's also something about role modeling here as well. You know, I have two little kids and it's like just noticing that action, like why is mummy turning the light off, you know? And so it's, it, and if you times up by 6 billion people, you know, there, there is a real difference. There's a massive difference. And, and isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? And it, it goes both ways as well. My nephew for Christmas from Santa Claus asked for a litter grabber and a plastic bag to collect litter. And my it. heart just exploded when he... Yeah. That was the top of his Christmas list. Mm. Um, and my sister was delighted. Easy. Yes. Yes. I thought, I'll get you one of those. Yeah. Um, but but what an absolute joy that that, mm. that is what's coming through for those young people. Yeah. You know, that that's yeah. what they want to do. But um, if we take the power away from the individual and say, oh, no, you're mm. right. Actually, mm. you know, it's, it's just about the big stuff. Mm. Um then we're doing ourselves a disservice because to me, change and revolution and new thought, it comes from the ground up, you know, and yeah. it comes from yeah. the community and the group. That's mm. how change has happened in the past. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's real, real, real value in it. Mm. And if people are doing it, then good on them. Mm. Definitely. Oh, thanks, Liz. Um, just as we close, is there anything you would like to leave our listeners with in terms of people that they should look up or um books to read podcasts to listen to anything that you'd like to recommend people go away and explore whether it's on the theme of nature generally or kind of waiting and patience more specifically so i i think what i would like to recommend and i'm a broadcaster so you know please come and watch um tv programs watch listen to radio programs we need you to be keying into those things um but the th big thing that i would like people to take away is to have 20 minutes to yourself mm -hmm. and um just go outside mm -hmm. and spend some time um actually away from a screen which is so counterintuitive to my own career um you know but that's a big thing that always sticks out for me is sort of um I'm encouraging people to watch and listen but I also want them to have that real connection so I think at 20 minutes if you can you know just staring out the window if you're uh, in in a flat or anything like that just, just take that time for you um because it has such such huge benefits. So I hope you don't think that's a cop out. There are lots of no. books that I would um, would certainly recommend, but I think just have that twenty minutes mm. and go for a walk or mm. uh, spend that time just just cloud cloud surfing. Mm. You know, I like um, just looking up and seeing what's in the sky it's surprisingly more than you think I did it in the mm. summer and I literally I just sort of lay down in a park in a 20 minute break at work and as I was watching this is above Manchester as I was watching three buzzards on the thermals nice. and I wouldn't have known you know nice. what were they doing oh. there very oh. amazing nice it makes me think, I guess that's bringing us back to screens, but there's a, a nice website called the Cloud Appreciation Society. And it is, it's all about like, you know, capturing, it's, it's quite an emotional thing looking at clouds, isn't it? It's not just the kind of scientific, is it, I can't remember what they're called, um, different types of clouds, but um, it can be quite poignant looking up at clouds and just kind of, yeah. 
connecting really them. lovely really lovely in the shapes and, and your again your imagination gets going it's quite good for kids as well you know mm. you can sort of play sardines and, and look at the sky but mm. um, I would recommend as well live cams across the world and mm. um, that's something that we've been playing on these um, self-isolating bird club which I, I do with Chris Packham throughout lockdown mm. and we found um, live live wildlife cameras across the world they are so addictive Mm. you just really get into it um so i would definitely recommend and you can just sort of you know just just google that really have a little look around but we've been watching um white-tailed eagle just absolutely beautiful an albatross that's on Mm. um near the falklands so yeah just have a little google go go down that wormhole for a bit nice (laughs) yeah 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 nice Oh, thank you. That's really like kind of nice, like practical, but also, yeah, just good headspace stuff. I think mm-hmm. that you're offering there. So thank you for that. Thanks for being with us, Linz. It was really good to connect. Absolute pleasure. There's nothing like sitting in my shoe cupboard with two good <laughs> friends and having a chat. Oh. <laughs> it's where I like to spend my day. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank All you. right. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I love the the honesty and the energy you've brought to this. Mm. You know. So you know. Thanks for kind of. It just feels like you've kind of travelled the whole range of this topic. You know. It's not just saying what's brilliant about waiting and patience. It's been really honest. Actually, there are some real challenges. Mm. real challenges and as a person whose natural energy is is quite high you know that that sort of Mm. the requirement to wait and um and something that I did want to say actually Mm. um so bonus content um (laughs) is that um it doesn't always go in a straight line and Mm. this is something that I'm learning you know you I sort of think right I know where I am and I know where I want to be a to b Mm. and it's useful to have that Mm. as a sort of driver in a career or in you know in your life whatever it might be but I have found that the tangent uh where the interest comes from so I'll be sort mm. of going along and thinking right that's what I need to mm. do and mm. then something will draw me off here or mm. someone will come in with an idea from over here and mm. actually the journey is much more of a wiggly line than a straight A to B and I think mm. the more you can take that in and I, I've been learning that over 10 years you know mm. the sort of the better you'll be able to cope with with the differences mm. and with the challenges and that is about waiting it out and having patience mm. and playing the long game Liz playing the long yeah. game oh we love it's that big, don't we yeah. yeah we do we do and I think trying to learn or, or believing in that is really mm. really important so yes mm. thank you I'm glad <laughs> sneaked in the bonus content <laughs> nice nice bonus content thank you very much and that really resonates with this like unfurling being a journey you know yeah. we have a vague idea of getting from A to B but actually being yeah. curious and going off piece mm. going and looking under the rocks and on the mountains and stuff what are, what are we finding along the way and being open to discovering new things so yeah thanks for being one of our guides on our journey yeah that's my pleasure yeah thank you Lindsay. it's been brilliant thank oh, you oh it's been oh. so enjoyable thank you <laughs> great to have our second guest or our second guide for season two of unfurling thank you Lindsay, for being part of it there's some really big themes there and some kind of really interesting nuanced stuff i really appreciated how for example she talked about bringing together climate and culture and yes. kind of joining those two worlds and i know that's something we talk about quite a bit you know how do we break out of silos how do we join the dots between these kind of ways of being and ways of thinking I appreciated that. I also like, well, I thought it was striking actually how she was really kind of um, open and, and honest in this mm. idea of prevention versus cure and how humans mm. are not great at preventing things, but we're really good at cure. And I think 
just yeah that seems I think that's probably true even though that's actually really challenging Mm -hmm. you know when we think about climate change particularly we think about adaptation versus mitigation you know doing stuff to you know stop climate change happening versus living with and adapting to its impact Um, I really appreciated how she she kind of wove beauty and joy through all of this you know whether it's looking at the stars whether Mm. it's looking just going for a walk I think that felt just really grounding and healthy um and then I also personally really love those storytelling stuff which I'm really interested in you know how do we how do we take these sometimes big things break them down see them through the eyes of an individual be empathetic step into their shoes and use stories to help us do that and I think yeah just you know the storytellers are vital when it comes to Mm. thinking about the natural world and the you know big challenges like climate change Lindsay's clearly really passionate about what she does Mm. and I think she's really good at it and it was it was great to hear that yeah Yeah. what was coming up for you yeah no absolutely no it was a really refreshing um time you know with Lindsay and I I, I love to honesty and her ability to to hold different energies as well you know the the challenge and the beauty and yeah it was it was I felt it was like a you know like a piano it was like the full range we had the full Mm. range yeah 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 that's a good way to think of it yeah so um something that I guess what I'm thinking about actually both of them actually both Hamish and Lindsay you know um different people different energies and yet there were some commonalities as well in in terms of what was coming up in the you know thinking about waiting and patience and one of them that struck me was authenticity Mm, being, being really authentic um being in nature being in lockdown, you know, um, and how nature is is authentic, um, and it kind of reminds me of a a quote um, about patience um, by Fulton J. Sheen, who was an American bishop and later archbishop, and it goes like this: Patience is power. Patience is not an absence of action; rather, it is timing. It waits on the right time to act for the right principles and in the right way. And whatever, I, I guess, you know, however we individually view right, you know, um, that can vary. But there's something for me about that authenticity that, you know, in that experience of patience and waiting that feels important. Mm. Right principles, right time. That that reminds me too of what I was just talking about with the the seeds about the idea of dormant seeds, kind of waiting for the right time, the right conditions. Yeah, and and equally to connect, and I think that came through strongly in both um, Hamish and Lindsay's segments. You know, we're talking about how everything is connected in nature, and you know, between humans, you know, we are social creatures, mm-hmm. um, and that everything changes. Um, both, I think both Hamish and Lindsay, you know, talked about the limits of thinking um, in a kind of linear way around progress and things like that. Um, mm. And how we, in a way, the importance of trust, you know, yeah. and, and letting go. Yeah, yeah, they both talked about letting go, actually, in different ways, didn't they? Yeah. And I think the other thing that struck me, actually, with both of them is this passion, mm. you know, expressed in different ways. But... Um, yeah, a line that 
I remember from Hamish's was, you know, talking about treating the planet like a dustbin. Like it mm. really, it's such a simple metaphor, but actually it's, it's, it's not even a metaphor. It's true. It's just mm. what is right. Mm. Um, and, and so you, you can really sense that, that passion um, here um, mm. and that there can be passion in waiting and in patience, you know, as going right back to the, you know, etymology at the beginning, you know, they can be active states of being. Yeah, and, and the tension that comes here too. I really appreciated Lindsay's honesty around, you know, you can be actively waiting and and and, and, and so on, but also still incredibly frustrated yeah, um, yeah. at the whether it's lack of action elsewhere or just the mm. urgency on the topic, like something like climate change. Mm. But equally pairing that with trusting. So she also talked about nature does bounce back, you know, and I think Hamish picked up on um, a similar idea of getting out of nature's way. Mm, yes so it's, it's sort of trusting in our own capacity to to wait or even building that capacity if it is a capacity mm. but also stepping out of nature's way letting it bounce back letting it do its thing letting it guide us which is you know the purpose of this podcast as we step away from our guides now mm. and carry on with our journey mm. um i thought i would share a poem mm. by the poet and thinker and teacher rabindranath tagore um, and then after that, we'll spend a bit of time just, yeah, picking up our map and locating ourselves and thinking, mm. where have we got to? Yeah. So the poem goes like this. If thou speakest not, I will fill my heart with thy silence and endure it. I will keep still and wait like the night with starry vigil and its head bent low with patience. The morning will surely come, the darkness will vanish, and thy voice pour down in golden streams breaking through the sky. Then thy words will take wing in songs from every one of my birds' nests, and thy melodies will break forth in flowers in all my forest groves. Mm. And I really like that poem. It touched on, I think, some of what Lindsay was talking about, you know, the idea of physically looking up into the sky where are the golden streams breaking down where is the bird song how are we stepping out and, and leaving things behind and going and looking at the flowers in the forest groves and just the idea of active patience you know even whilst we're waiting yeah like the starry night we can be expectant and hopeful of morning right it will come and yeah. darkness will vanish um so it really it really resonated with me yeah, the words came up, yeah, hopeful anticipation for me. Mm. Um, mm. And just remember there's beauty in the moment, you know, sounds mm. cheesy, but there is. Um, yeah. Yeah, just thinking about where we're at right now, thinking about that moment. <laughs> you mm. Know? Mm. Um, we've been on a bit of a journey, hearing from our two guides, Hamish and Lindsay, and now I guess it's where are we at with this topic, you know, yeah. waiting in patience. And I guess when I reflect, I think, one of the things that's coming out most strongly for me about is about this kind of idea about authenticity and kind of range of experience and, and energy when it comes to, to waiting in patience. Um, and there are, that there are so many ways to do it, you know, so many ways to be patient and waiting, um, which mm -hmm. I, I perhaps didn't expect actually when I started with this topic, I thought there might be one or two ways, you know, but yeah. Yeah. Me cool. too. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, Elizabeth, like, as you, as we come to the end, like, how are you going to be with waiting and patience? Well, before this episode, I, I was almost 
being patient with the idea of patience I didn't <laughs> know what was going to come up and it's I, I guess it's a topic that if I'm honest was a bit more of a head topic than a mm. heart topic mm. but it's shifted a bit I think and something I've taken from stepping back and learning from Hamish and Lindsay and the natural world that we've we've drawn on too is is authenticity is is at the heart of this you know how are we how are we expressing who we are as we wait and as we're patient and and honestly sometimes we will be frustrated and it's okay Mm. to express that frustration and ask for help Mm. you know sometimes waiting is really hard yeah in terms of what I'm going to take it's about the authenticity it's about welcoming the range Mm. of ways of being patient and of waiting and I don't think I expected that I sort of thought there was a way you do painting painting and waitings waiting and patience (laughs) and it's something a bit guru like and we sort of sit back and we meditate and we have to be really zen with all of this and whilst that's true sometimes and for some people there's also a way we can be patient and we can wait really actively and and kind of hopefully and they're not mutually exclusive I know that but there's just something about embracing that range and owning it and owning the emotion that comes with it and Mm. expressing that 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 really has jumped out for me I think Mm. and Kat what what about you what are you taking with you as we kind of come to an end on this journey of waiting and patience yeah I mean I'd echo everything you said that all resonates with me um I guess the other thing that's that's popped into my head is um yeah I think when I thought of waiting and patience it felt yeah quite could be quite serious or like Mm. um and something that I might lack at times uh Whereas now what I'm feeling mm. is wanting to embrace a bit more fun, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and bringing fun into this, this kind of space. Certainly we are out in the UK and in lockdown, but just more generally when we're waiting and having to be patient or wanting to be patient. Um, so I think it's, yeah, almost having, putting my, my fun lens on, you know, like, mm. little, like fun glasses, I guess. Um, oh, and, and fun see- glasses, I love yeah. that. <laughs> And so when I'm looking around a room or I'm looking at or thinking about a work thing or whatever, I'm kind of like, what, what would what would fun teach me here? Mm. You know, what's the fun perspective? And um, there's a nice quote by um, Jill Biden, the first lady uh, in America, uh, which is life is difficult. And if you sit around waiting for fun to show up, you'll find yourself going without it more often than not. Hmm. So I think I'm, I'm coming away from this. Yeah. With a desire to create some some fun. Love it. I can't wait to put on some fun glasses. (laughs) So as we come to the end of this journey, Kat, and and listeners, thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening in. We just want to leave you with a few questions, I suppose. So, you know, off the back of this episode, waiting and patience, what's come up for you? What are you what are you waiting for? Is there something you're waiting for? Has this episode challenged you on that has it given you new insights or new ways of being with waiting and patience going back to that etymology of the word um waiting and and the words waiting and patience it's Mm. how are you awake to what you're waiting for how are you watching out for it and guarding for it how do you want to be with waiting and patience yeah and, and i guess how the natural world can help inspire you with that as well Mm. um when you say you know what are you waiting for it reminds me of that Gwen Stefani song you know what Mm. what you're waiting for um which I used to enjoy as a a late teenager it's a good question a good question though yeah 
there are there are lots of ways to do waiting and patience mm, absolutely you've been listening to unfurling a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire see you next time see you next time